The following sermon was preached at Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Uh, so the text that I've been given is Genesis 29. I have three points. Um, the first one is going to be a family reunion, um, kind of summing up verses 1 through 14. The second point will be the deceiver himself gets deceived, 15 through 30. And then I'm going to go one extra verse, verse 31. The despised receive the blessing of God. But before we begin, is this thing on? Am I good? Okay, we're good. Making sure. Uh, I'm just going to go through a little bit of background of what's going on. Uh, this section of scripture is, is preluded by Jacob being sent to his uncle Laban from Isaac, which happened in 28, verse 2. He says, Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban. So Isaac sends him here. And Laban, according to Isaac, will give him the blessing of Abraham of, of making him to be fruitful and to multiply and to take possession of the land God gave to Abraham. So the promise given to Abraham is being uh, transferred now to from Isaac to Jacob. Esau then decides to marry an Ishmaelite woman uh, because he overheard Isaac saying to Jacob not to marry a Canaanite woman. So he goes and Ishmael is, is part of the family. So he decides to marry one of the Ishmaelite women. Then Jacob on his journey to Haran receives a vision from the Lord and basically reassures him that the promise made by Isaac to him is true and is for him. He declares to Jacob that he is the God of his father and grandfather and makes this promise in verse 15 of chapter 28. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you makes that promise to him. And then Jacob makes a vow to God that if he does this, then he will be his God. So that's the background from chapter 28. Now chapter 29 is the beginning of three chapters where Jacob is dealing with Laban. These three chapters are the centerpiece of the Jacob story. And then the way that these three chapters are written, it's in uh, what is called a chiastic form, just it's a fancy word. Basically, all it means is that the beginning of 29 and the end of 31 uh, are, are kind of connected. So 29, he comes in into Laban's life, into Laban's house. In 31, he leaves Laban in his household. And then the two inner stories are, are connected with Laban outwitting Jacob and then Jacob outwitting Laban, so deceiving each other. So it's kind of written in that form. Now I want to discuss kind of the feeling difference from 28 to 29. So in 28, it's very encouraging. And, and in chapter 28, we get this great promise from God to Jacob. He's saying, behold, I will be with you and I will keep you wherever you go. This is an amazing promise to him. And then Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. So he has some type of spiritual awakening uh, a lot of people say that he gets saved here, and I would tend to agree with that. Is how awesome is this place? There's this is 
none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So he's proclaiming the majesty of God showing up to him. And then he goes on to say to make a vow, if God be with me and will keep me, and keep his word basically is what he's saying, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I may come again to my father's house in peace and the Lord shall be my God. So we kind of leave that with this encouraging feeling. Like like when you're first saved, uh, when I was first saved anyways, I thought, you know, nothing's going to go wrong. I just had received, you know, forgiveness of sins. I thought, all right, my, my, my life is paved clean, straight to heaven. But then we're going to go see here in 29 that, that problems still arise and it's not a, necessarily a bad thing, but, but God uses it to discipline Jacob in his sin. And so that's kind of the feeling change. So it goes from very encouraging to now reality is going to hit and problems are going to arise, which happens for all of us. And we can be encouraged uh, uh, from Genesis fifty twenty when he's talking to Joseph, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And that's, just, that's, that's true here for any child of God, that that bad things will happen, that evil will, will come true. Evil will happen, but it will not prevail, and it is always for our good as brothers and sisters in Christ, which is very encouraging. We have the promise, just as Jacob did in 28.15, but that is what guided him and guided him through much evil, much torture for 14 years um, that he had to do with 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 Laban and his deceitfulness. So let's pray and then let's dig into the text. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for giving us Sundays, giving us Sundays to worship together, giving us Sundays to open up your word and to uh, receive the food from your holy word to uh, nurture us and to grow us. Uh, God, I pray Lord, today that you would give me clarity as I speak. I pray, God, that um, your name, your your character would be lifted high. Lord, I pray that your gospel would be preached. And Lord, I pray that the people would be encouraged uh, because of the great love with which you have loved us. Despite our sin, Lord, I, I pray that that would be abundantly clear that Jesus Christ uh, has died for sins and has resurrected. Death did not conquer him. He conquered death, Lord. And I pray, uh, God, that if there's anyone here who does not know you, who's, who has not uh, encountered the greatness and holiness of God and the, the great love of God, Lord, I pray that you would show that to them today. And God, if there's people here who are despondent or, or discouraged or downcast, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would encourage them greatly with your presence and with your joy. God, I pray that you'd give me clarity. I pray that you'd give me unction. I pray that you'd give me joy as I preach your word. And God, I pray that it would affect my heart. Lord, I pray you would make me more into the Son, into your Son, Jesus Christ. God, you are so good to us. God, you are so awesome. You are so majestic. You are so amazing in all the work that you do. Let us glory and praise you and worship you because of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I had a dream once that uh, it was an awful dream. I, was, I, I had a dream that I was walking 
And uh, I was walking to my wedding, and I stood up. And the, the preacher um, was about to have us say our vows. The veil was lifted, and the awful part was it was not my wife. But the good news is I was able to wake up, and it wasn't real. Now, for Jacob, that was not the case. He had to deal with that for the rest of his life, this miss. Uh, this mishap of, of having the wrong person up there as he was married. But God used that. God used that to discipline him. God used that to make him more like himself. But we're going to the first point, family reunion, verses 1 through 14. I'm not going to reread it. Thank you, Luke, for reading that so that I don't have to go through the entire thing. It's obnoxious, but I appreciate it. First thing that Jacob does, right? So after he receives this promise, if you look with, with me in verse one, it says, then Jacob went on his journey. Right? So the very first thing he gets this promise. And then what he does right after that is to simply go. He goes on his journey, which is showing his obedience in the promise that God has made to him. Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Right, he's going to Haran where he was called to go. And he's, he's, he's going with this promise that God will not leave him until he accomplishes his work. So he's going in obedience and he's going with the promise. And that is exactly how each Christian ought to be living their life. Wherever you are going, you are to be going with the promise and the truth of Christ that he's given to us. The promise that he will not leave us or forsake us. This is not unique to Jacob. This is, this is for all Christians. Whoever here has trusted in Christ, God will be with them wherever they may go. So as you go, wherever you go, to, to work, to wherever, go in obedience, but go with the promise that God is with you and he will never forsake you. That is the best thing that we can do. And the first person that he goes and he meets is he's going and he meets the shepherds of Haran. So he goes first and he's going into uh, this place and, and then he's seeing all these sheep lying beside this giant well with a big hole where they would feed and, and drink. And then there's a huge stone covering it. And every day they would lift it up and take it off so that the sheep could eat or drink. But Jacob says to them, as he goes to see this, says, my brothers, where do you come from? Right, talking to the shepherds, he realizes that they're from Haran, where he's trying to go. And he says, well, do you know this man, Laban, the son of Nahor? And they say, we do. Well, is it well with him? Because if it's not, I should probably get out of here. They say, it is well. And see, now look, it's not bothering me. You can ask Rachel. She's coming now with the sheep, with the sheep. For she is a shepherdess. Ask her. Talk to her. She is the daughter of Laban. You can talk to her. Stop bothering us. And then in verse 7 he says, Behold, it is still high day. Now Jacob rebukes them, saying, What are you doing? It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. Jacob is being disrespectful to these shepherds, but is also rebuking them at the same time. Why are you being lazy? Why are you not doing this so that the sheep can go and graze the field 
for longer. And then verse 8 comes. They said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. That's when we do it. When every one, every one of the sheep, uh, the flocks of sheep are gathered together, then we're going to lift this up and then we're going to feed them all at once so that we don't have to keep lifting this giant stone up because it's heavy. I don't want to do it. So we're going to wait one time. One time. But now we see here in verse 9 that Jacob meets Rachel. Right? So he, he, meets the, he meets the shepherds. Now he's going to meet Rachel. This is where the family reunion actually begins. While he's still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Rachel comes with his sheep. And as soon as Jacob saw Rachel and the sheep, he lifts up this great big stone. Right? He's trying to impress her. He realizes this is Laban's daughter, and he's doing this to uh, get a good first impression with Laban. Right? He's not at this point, I don't think, trying to impress Rachel at all. But he's trying to impress Laban to have a good repertoire with him, as one might say. And I think that's true because of verse 10. If you look in verse 10, you'll see three different times it says Laban, his mother's brother. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother. And then he goes on to say, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So we see the central focus is not Rachel, not yet anyways, but here it is all on Laban, his mother's brother. Why is the focus on that? Well, because uh, that's exactly what Isaac told him to do. Go to Haran and see Laban, my, your mother's brother, basically. And so he's trying to make this abundantly clear. This is for Laban. But then you say, well, what about the kiss? Is this where their love starts? I don't think so. Once again, because the main focus is on Laban. He lifts the stone for Laban. He waters Laban's sheep. And Rachel is portrayed here as only Laban's daughter. So there's no mention yet of her beauty, no mention of that. So we cannot correctly say that this is for Rachel, for Laban. And then also, if you look in verse 13, and as, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. So his, his uncle also gives him a kiss. And so we cannot say that this is uh, a romantic kiss by any means, but it's just a greeting. Now, another question came into my head. Is Jacob being genuine in his motives? I don't know. I can't, I can't rightly declare. But it does seem that there is a type of pride in, in which he speaks to uh, the shepherds. And he says, you're being lazy, essentially. Why are you not doing this correctly? But he's also trying to impress Laban. But now Jacob is going to meet Laban, and this is where the fun begins, you could say. Laban hears the news about Jacob. He gets really excited, goes out, and he gives him a kiss, and he embraces him and brings him into his house. And Jacob, it says here in verse 13, Jacob told Laban all these things. What are all these things? What does that mean? It doesn't say, doesn't explain, but it, it does say enough, whatever it was, Jacob said enough, so that Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone, 
and my flesh. So whatever he told them, it was enough for him to know that he truly is Laban's nephew. And he lets him stay with him for a month, right? Jacob's trying to flee Esau. And this is what he does. He goes there and stays with him for a month. And this is the long-awaited family reunion from chapter 27, verse 43, where he says, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. This is the completion of that. He's going, and he stays with him for a few days, or here it says a month. So the family reunion starts right there. Now verse, now point number two is going to be the deceiver gets deceived. And this is probably the meat and bones of the text. Laban was excited to see Jacob and give him a kiss and said that he is family. Surely you are my bone and my flesh, right? Everything here is still really good. But as you go to verse 15, he says, Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages shall be. Right? At this point, Laban has no idea that Jacob is in love with Rachel. He has no idea of any of these things. He's wanting to give him pay for staying with him and for working. But again, my questions are, what are Laban's motives in this? Is this something that he's shown in the past to deceive? Well, if you'll... Turn back in your Bibles to chapter 24. I'll show you a portion of Scripture where Laban, where Laban is mentioned. We'll begin in verse 29. In verse 29, it says, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm and heard the words of Rebekah's sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. Behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside for I have prepared the house for a place for the camels? So right here it says, As soon as Laban sees rings and the bracelets on his sister's arm, in other words, jewelry, in other words, lots of money being portrayed for his uh, for Rebecca, he is blinded essentially by the money. So we see a sense of his selfishness and his desire for money over all things. Now, if you skip down to verse 50, it says, Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son. As the Lord has spoken. Now, Rebecca will eventually be Isaac's wife and Jacob's mother, but is also Laban's sister. So, verse 52 When Abraham's servant heard the words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave to her brother Laban and to her mother costly ornaments. Right? So, Laban has gotten in the past money and, and costly things that are of much value from, uh, from one, his sister being married. And so now he's seeing, okay, Jacob is part of this family. He must also have a lot of money. So 
What are his motives? My guess is probably not good. And we're going to see that in just a little bit. That they are actually not very good at all. So Laban is told of it in the past, having his eyes on money and selfish gain. He is blinded what he can get over the way he can love and the way that he can serve his daughters and his nephew. This is a man you do not want to make deals with. And Jacob should have known about this in some way of having stayed there for a month, picked up on some of his characteristics. What does Laban see in Jacob? Well, he sees this man uh, who is a bodybuilder of sorts and he was able to lift up the stone by himself, uh, of which the shepherds, which is plural, don't want to do themselves. So they see a man who's very strong. He's a man who can work and who can get, uh, who can essentially bless the field and give him much gain in his crops and in his, um, in, uh, in his food and in his, uh, um, what are they called? Flocks. So, in verse 29 of chapter 30, we're going to see uh, that Jacob has increased his livestock. Verse 30, he says, For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? So we see that his work has been very fruitful. And so after the first seven years, you could be... You can go into Laban's mind thinking, this man has blessed me abundantly already and has increased what I had very little of. So now I'm going to trick him so that I might get more gain. So he's looking again for selfish gain. But eight, and in verse 18, Jacob makes a deal. He says, Jacob loved Rachel. He says, I will serve you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel, Laban then says, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Laban says, this is the deal. I will do as you say. I will give you Rachel. But as seven years goes by, he sees the gain that he could get. Do not be fooled, brothers and sisters. This is not a simple cultural issue. When he says in verse 26, Laban says, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Right? This is not a cultural issue that's going on here. This is not simply like, oh, Jacob, you didn't know the culture. Therefore, you have to do whatever, whatever happens to you. This is, not, this is a simple sin issue. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that. None is righteous. We know that. No one, no one seeks for God. All turned aside. Together they become worthless. And then later on in that same, uh, in Romans 3, he says, they use their tongues to deceive. This has been happening since the beginning and is happening here in New York. It happens in Kentucky. It happens uh, in, in other countries. It happens everywhere because all are sinful. And the ways of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So when you read this, don't just say, this is a simple cultural issue, and it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal, because he said his word is that I will give her to you after you serve me seven years. But he uses his tongues to deceive. This is a very sinful act that he has done. And at the same time, we're still surprised at the the lying, the deception, 
that happens in this world. Why would you expect someone who is sinful to not act sinfully? But also consider the flaws of Jacob in this. Maybe he thought that because he had the promise of 2815, that nothing was going to, bad was going to happen to him. And so he didn't think. He wasn't wise. Right? He needed to be wise as a serpent because sin is wise and sin prevails, but he must rule over it. So as we consider Jacob, he was tricked by Laban. Let us also consider who we trust. Let us also consider who leads us. Let us also consider uh, who leads us in our work, who we trust in our work, who we trust in the church. The church ought to be the safest place for a Christian to be. But even in the church, the sin can creep up. Let us look to the great high priest, the great, always truth in him, Christ. Christ has conquered sin through his death and resurrection. And as many in here have experienced the love of Christ, so we must also protect that gospel from getting polluted by deceit, especially from us, especially from within the church. If we are deceitful, what would draw anybody in to come and hear the truth? We are saying that we proclaim and we live the truth, yet we live differently. Proclaim one thing, we live another. Let that not be so. And I don't say this just because I think that this is happening. I, I have no idea. But I'm saying, let us be very aware that sin is very real and it's easy to creep up into our lives. And we're to be a light to the world And I think it begins with this, Romans 12. Let no one think more highly of himself than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So it is in our sinful nature, both as leaders in the church and as, as, as businessmen, as, as whatever it is, we are so prone to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And that is the beginning of when sin takes over our hearts. When you think so highly of yourself, that's what happened to Laban. Laban thought more highly of himself than he ought. He thought more highly of his own work that he thought he would use somebody else for it. Because he's more important than Jacob or Leah or Rachel. And Jacob was not wise. He was trusting in himself. Trusting in Laban rather than the Lord. So we see here that Jacob the deceiver was deceived and he was changed just a chapter ago, yet he falls for sin. So my exhortation is, one, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but also, two, be truthful. Whatever you say, do it. And three, and finally, be wise. Be wise in all that you do, and all that you say, this world is very deceitful. But in all that, this is a very loving act by God. 
God disciplines those whom he loves, and he loves Jacob. And he pays the consequences for his past deception. And he's doing this by his very own sin himself, by allowing him to be deceived. It took 14 years for Jacob to be sanctified and to be disciplined. Let that also be an encouragement to us. Those of you in here who have, who have maybe felt stagnant or, or have gone through a lot of trouble for many years, right? God sometimes uses long periods of time of strain in order to sanctify us, to make us more like his son. God sought fit for Jacob to think on his sin for 14 years and to continue in obedience. The deceiver was deceived. Now let's go on to our third point. The despised received the blessing. Verse 30 and 31. He says, So Jacob went into Rachel also after the second term, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So we see here that Jacob loves Rachel more than Leah. We all know this. Rachel had Jacob's love and had more beauty than Leah. Leah was so desperate for love that she even agreed to be part of this swap. She wanted to be noticed and loved, but she had neither. But what does Leah have? If you look in verse 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. He has, or she has, the Lord looking upon her. And that should be enough. She had favor with the Lord. She had something that Rachel didn't. Children in favor. When and how and why does this happen? It's when the Lord sees her. This seems to be a common theme throughout all of Scripture, that God chooses the least likely person to bear his blessing over the likely person. And I think that is very purposeful. God chose Abraham, who was an idolater, Josh 24.2. He says, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. He chose him to bear one of the greatest blessings in all of the Old Testament, one who served other gods. God chose David, who was the least of all his brothers, the youngest, the smallest, the lowest of his state, a shepherd, and called him to bear his covenant. God called Joseph the youngest. God called Moses, who was very fearful, and who was left at the side of a bank to be basically killed, taken by anyone. God chose Mary and Joseph to bear the Lord Jesus Christ in a lowly manger in a small town of Bethlehem. So it's like God does this on purpose. right? He doesn't just stop there. What about the apostles? The apostles, some were fishermen, tax collector. Everyone hates the tax collector. Simon was a zealot. But what about the church? He says in 1 Corinthians, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast 
in the presence of God. If somebody strong is able to, to fulfill the promises, then we say, wow, that person is great. If a weak person does it, we say, wow, God is great. And that's exactly what he's trying to do. That's what he's showing here. So let the one, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. It's all over. So what does that mean for us? It means that our birth of our salvation even came from the humblest of means. And that means that, that in, in, in the greatest of all people, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you and I might be in a right relationship with God. He did that for us. He humbled himself to that point. And he was the one in whom God said, this is my beloved son, the humblest of all people in whom I'm well pleased. Perfect in obedience, perfect in keeping the law, perfect in humility, so that those who are hated like Leah might have eternal life. That's the beauty of this, is that God looks on those who are despised, and all are despised, so that those he sees are and may have this, this new life. He opened up her womb so that life could come through her. And that's what he does through us. He, he makes us born again to have new life out of death into life. And he says this, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever is mine will never leave me. That promise is true as long as he shall live. And as we sang, he ever lives to plead for us. He is risen. He is ascended. Your hope is everlasting. So church, let us rest on this cornerstone, on this promise. Right, just two quick application points. Right, the first one is that Jacob was justified because, Jake, because God showed up. As we saw in Genesis 28, he was downright an evil person, a liar. He was born that way, and nothing he could ever do could save him. But God showed up, and he makes his promise to a sinful person. I was first shown the scriptures when I was 16 years old. But God slowly revealed himself to me the next five years before he saved me. But he showed up the summer of 2013 through the preaching of the word, through the exhortation and encouragement of people within the church. And then my life was truly changed from then. I was an adulterer. I was stuck in my sin. I was going to Bible studies, I was going to church, but also at the same time, I was living in great sin. And it was nothing, it was nothing crazy. All, all that happened in 2013 was people were preaching the word to me and exhorting me. So be encouraged, parents in here. Our sister-in-law, who's 20 years old, just received Christ and had heard the gospel her entire life just happened a week ago that can happen if god shows up that is not your your responsibility to to be god but to preach god be encouraged you cannot control the work of the spirit but you can preach and live and do the work of christ 
Be encouraged, church. We're all, all here because God showed up for some reason we can't explain in each and every one of your lives and changed you from this old person to now a new person. And that is not an act of yourself, that is an act of God. That is why we are here in Long Island, is to see God move. Because if there's ever a dead place that I've ever seen in my life, it is here. And I say that as an encouragement. Because even here, God's made some people alive. God knows what he's doing. He is no amateur. My second point is, Jacob was sanctified because God disciplined him, and he did not leave him. Jacob had 14 years of discipline under Laban and his deceitfulness, and he will serve even six more years for his entire flock, and this was a very good thing for him. So church, do not despise discipline. Discipline is so good. Hebrews 12, 11 says that the fruit of discipline... No, I'm saying that wrong. No discipline at the time seems pleasant, but rather painful. But in the end, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. That's Hebrews 12. 11. That's what discipline does. It yields peaceable fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience. He had to be patient for 20 years. You might have to be patient for I don't know how many years. But we're sanctified through that. Because in the midst of that, Here's the glory of it, is that God never leaves you, no matter what you're going through. When you're first saved, the mountaintop experience, through the discipline and the valley of terrible, awful things, the beauty is that God is alive. God never leaves you. God will never forsake you. And he will eventually bring you home to glory. It will come to pass. So let us encourage each other. Let us be here for each other. Let us... us, Speak the word of Christ to one another when we need it. We need, to, we need each other. I need you. And you need me. Let's, let's pray. Oh Lord, I'm so thankful for your presence. I'm so thankful for your love that is everlasting. I'm so thankful, God, that uh, for this text that encourages us uh, that you are the one who works. You are the one who, who opened Leah's womb. You're the one who saved Jacob. You're the one who saves us. You're the one who shows up. God, we thank you that you chose us who are weak to shame the strong. And, and Lord, I, I, I thank you so much for, uh, for your son, Jesus Christ, um, who not only sets an example of humility for us, but also humbled himself that we might be in your presence, that we might come to you and pray and worship and, and glory in all that you do. So, Lord, as we, as we depart today, Lord, let us have your gospel in our hearts. Let us have your encouragement and joy in our lives. Let us comfort and encourage and love one another, God. Thank you for being our comfort. Thank you, God, so much for dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, I pray, if anyone does not know you, Lord, I pray that they would ask and that they would uh, have questions. Lord, I pray that they would uh, come to you. And God, that you would show up. I pray for any discouragement, any downcast soul. Lord, I pray, God, that you would be their encouragement today. I thank you you don't leave them. I thank you don't leave us in anything. We pray that you get all the glory and all the joy. And Lord, I pray that this church would be a lighthouse 
to Long Island. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.